right, good morning, transit family. How's everyone doing? Good, good. Uh, adults, you got your coloring sheets from the hallway there? Keep you, that's a good way to take sermon notes. All right, uh, well, we are continuing our sermon series uh, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, the teaching of Jesus about what it means to live under his lordship and what it means to be about his kingdom and not our own. And who here has been enjoying uh, diving into the Sermon on the Mount so far? It's been really good. It's been really challenging and convicting uh, to me as well. Today we're going to be in Matthew 7, so open your Bibles or turn them on or tap to them. Matthew 7, 13 through 14. And as you're turning there, I once heard this saying uh, a while back that, um, I don't know, sometimes you hear like kind of a cliche saying, but it really resonates with you and then it like helps you the rest of your life. And that saying that I heard was this, to be unclear is to be unkind. To be unclear is to be unkind, meaning Sometimes love of someone looks like boldly speaking the truth as clearly as possible, like laying it out simply, boldly, clearly. So therefore, if to be unclear is to be unkind, what might sound harsh, what might sound unkind is actually maybe the most loving thing someone can do for us. And that's what we see Jesus do today. Uh, He says some hard, heavy, exclusive words in our text today, but it's done out of love. And if we were to place our shoes in the listeners of the first century audience of those who would have first heard the Sermon on the Mount, uh, yes, there would have been some committed, faithful followers of Jesus listening to the Sermon on the Mount, but there also would have been some people who were just kind of like Facebook stalking Jesus, right? They've seen, they've seen Jesus trending on social media, TikTok videos of like healing the sick and casting out demons. And they're like, hey, I kind of I kind of want to see what this is about. They got the flyer to the Sermon on the Mount. They came, and they're there, and they're seeking. And maybe some of them want to shift from stalking Jesus to walking with him and saying yes to his invitation to come and follow me, follow me. And so maybe, just maybe, three of the questions, and we're gonna, this is how we're going to, if you're taking notes, this is the outline for the talk. Three of the questions that they uh, probably would have asked, well, well, Jesus, if you're inviting me to follow you, well, what's this first step? How do I begin this journey with you, Jesus? Do we, is it like a membership class? Is there like a sign-up sheet? I give you my email, then I get weekly updates from you? Like, like, is there a deposit I have to, like, how does this work? What's the door, what's the entryway to starting this journey with you? And then it says the first question. Secondly, what does it look like? If I'm to follow you, Jesus, how would you describe what it means to follow you? Like, if you were to give me one word, Jesus, of what it means to follow you, what would it be? And it's a word that we don't want to hear, and we're going to look at it this morning. Um, what does it look like to follow you? What does this journey entail? And thirdly, Jesus, you've invited us to follow you. But that begs the question, well, where are you going? Where are you leading us? There's a direction that your feet are moving towards, if you're inviting me to follow you, well, what's the ultimate aim, the ultimate destination that you want to take me to? Where are you going? Where will this journey take us? So those are the three questions we're going to be uh, looking at today. And in our text, Jesus answers those questions out of love, out of love, uh, in a simple and clear and yet profound way. So we're going to read Matthew 7, 13 through 14, pray for our time, and dive in. Sound good? All right. Verses will be on the screen. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. 
Let's pray. Father, we just, we just pray your blessing over your word this morning. We pray, Holy Spirit, you would come and search our hearts, God. And Lord, we say thank you, Jesus, that you speak truth, God. That you came to show us that there is a way to salvation. There is a way to true and abundant life. And it's in you. Thank you, Jesus, for making that way. And for the truth, God, that you opened up your mouth and you taught us what it means to follow in your footsteps. You are such a gracious and kind God. So thank you for that, God. We pray, Lord, that you would be magnified today, you'd be glorified, and that you, Holy Spirit, would come and have your way with our minds and our ears and our hearts. Lord Jesus, we pray, Lord, that you would be magnified and increase, and I would decrease up here in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the sound of the crinkling of goldfish bags while I'm praying. Um, <laughs> uh, first question, how do we begin this journey with Jesus? Well, the first thing we see in our text, if you look at verse 13, Jesus says one word. He says, enter. That's in the imperative mood. It's a command. It's an invitation. Enter. And it begs the question, when is it necessary to give this command? When do you use this in interpersonal relationships? You use this command, enter, when you desire that others leave where they're currently at so that they can come where you are and where you're going. Does that make sense? When you say to someone, come and enter, you're saying, where you are is not where I want you to be. I want you to come where I am, and so you can follow me. There's kind of like geographical terminology. You're not in a good place. Come to me at the place where I'm at. This is, I was praying. I was like, Lord, when, did, when, do, when do I usually give this command? And immediately it was like, oh, uh, I got to be careful. I got uh, uh, my family in the, in the audience today. But uh, when we're traveling, right, if, if you're a parent, can you just, just say amen for me on this? It takes about half an hour to go anywhere with about three kids, all right? So, so you, you're, you're, you got your destination marked out, and you're in the driveway, and you're like, enter the car so that I can take you where I want to take you. But meanwhile, you're chasing butterflies, and my youngest baby Nick always has a permanent marker, and he's graffitiing something. So he's like tagging the, the car or the neighbor's car or something or throwing a rock through a window. Uh, anyways, and, and, and so for me, that command enter is saying you have to leave some things behind. You actually have to leave where you're at and leave what you're doing so that you can come. Where we see the heart of Jesus in this. It's the heart of Jesus. And the second thing that I really want to hone in on here and then, and then wrap this up to my second point is what's striking to me when I was, when I was praying through this was, was the indiscriminate nature of who this invitation is extended to. Are you tracking with me? Like Jesus in his humanity doesn't necessarily know who's in that audience in the first century, right? He doesn't know. In his humanity, in his humanity, if you would just reason with me in that or, or, or posit that for the sake of this illustration, that uh, what I'm getting after is this, is Jesus didn't uh, 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 say this. Raise your hand if your net worth is over a million shekels. Nobody raise their hand. Um, and then, then he says, for those that have their hand raised, enter the narrow gate. He didn't say that. He didn't say, raise your hand if you are an Israelite. I don't want any Samaritans. I don't want any Gentiles. Raise your hand if you're an Israelite. Okay, Israelites enter by the narrow gate. Jesus didn't say that. He just gives the indiscriminate, broad invitation to enter. Anyone who has ears to hear, come with me is the invitation of Christ. That's the invitation. And, and watch this. If the likes of me got invited to the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, 
the likes of anyone outside this room is invited as well, right? That's the heart of Christ, tax collectors, uh, people uh, gender confused, people who maybe think about things differently than us. They get invited as well. They get invited as well. If we got invited, you better believe they get invited as well. Jesus didn't say who. He didn't say anyone here like love like health in, the health insurance process, right? Like back in the day, it's a little bit different now. But back in the day, like pre-existing conditions would keep you from getting coverage. And so before you applied, uh, the, 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 the provider would be like, hey, you want to roll with us? Let's talk about your history for a little bit. Got some, well, what's that? How many surgeries you had? What kind of medication you on? What was that trip to the ER about? Oh, I don't know if you can roll with us. Sorry, you got too many pre-existing conditions. Jesus doesn't give a rip about your pre-existing conditions. He says, come, and I came to clear your pre-existing conditions. The only condition for you to come is to understand that I have too many preconditions to come. Right? And Jesus says he doesn't mention any moral preconditions that would disqualify you from coming. He's saying that's what qualifies you for coming. That's why I went to the cross. So that your sins, the things that were separating you from fellowship, communion, and union with the living God, they could be charged to my account. And I could clear your, your medical chart so that you could come with me. It's open invitation. Enter to anyone who has ears to hear. Come with me. And we see the heart of Jesus with that. As he desires anyone and everyone to come with him where he's going. He came to seek and chase after that which is lost and bring lost sinners home to the embrace of their father. So segue into our next point here is yes, the invitation is broad, but the gate is narrow and only few find it. Everyone gets invited, but there's only one door to walk through. There's only one door to walk. So it begs the question, well, what is the narrow gate that Jesus is talking about? What, what, is this, what does this symbolize? What's the symbolism here? And that gate, that door is conversion. It's the moment a sinner hears the gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has done to die for our sins and reconcile us back to God. And you hear that and you believe it and you say, you surrender your life to Jesus. You confess his lordship over your life. I am a sinner. God, I desperately need the forgiveness of my sins, and I confess that I'm stepping off the throne of my life, and I'm enthroning you as Lord over my life. That's the point of salvation. We, we hear, we believe, and we obey. Step one of following Jesus, passing through the gate, the first step to enter this journey. But watch how Jesus describes the gate. It begs the follow-up question. Well, Jesus... Why do you describe this gate as narrow? Why is it a narrow gate? And again, as I was preparing this, you couldn't help but think of like, when am I like a narrow passageway, right? Like, when am I squeezing through a narrow passageway? And what, is that, what does that symbolize? So at the top of our stairs, our only stairs that go from the bottom floor to the top floor, we have a baby gate. And every morning for work, uh, I, uh, got my, I got my backpack, I got my lunchbox, and I got another bag, I got my coffee. And without fail, every time I try to squeeze through the baby gate, and I can't squeeze through. Why? Because I'm trying to bring too much stuff through. You guys tracking with me? If I want to get from where I'm at to where I'm going through that narrow gate, I have to shed some layers. I got to leave some things behind if I want to pass through that gate. There's not a, lot of, a whole lot of Nick Mudgers, though, that can pass through that narrow gate if I'm trying to roll, uh, you know, pack everything I can through this narrow gate. So then it begs the follow-up question. Well, Jesus, you say the gate is narrow, but Jesus, how, how narrow are we talking here? How much of me and, and my lordship and my stuff can I, can I squeeze through, Jesus? How narrow 
is this gate. And the response of Jesus is crystal clear. Just go read your Bibles. He says, it's as narrow as a cross. It's as narrow as a coffin. It's as narrow as the waters of baptism, symbolizing your death to yourself and rising to new life for the glory of Jesus in your life. That's how narrow it is. Stated differently, in order to follow Jesus, what Jesus is saying, you have to unfollow yourself. I hate to break it to you. Jesus didn't come to make all your dreams and wishes come true, right? Our prayer is, we, we like, thank God he didn't because I had some dreams and wishes that were, that I'm thanking God he didn't answer those prayers. Can we get a hallelujah? Lost my place in my notes, got fired up. That's not like a pause for effect. I just lost my notes. All right. So beginning of this journey with Jesus is the end of you. And that's the best news on the planet Earth because then your life is no longer about you. And don't take my word for it. Luke 9, Luke 9, 23 through 25. And Jesus said to all, if anyone, watch this, anyone, anyone can come after me. Anyone's invited. Anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Unfollow yourself. It's not about you anymore. Let him deny himself and take up his what? His cross, not couch, right? Cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So immediately when we confess Christ's lordship over our lives, it immediately means we're renouncing our lordship over our lives. In our past former life before Christ, we were the tyrannical lord over our life. And our refrain was my glory, my name, my kingdom, my will, my body, my destiny. It's all about me, myself, and I. And nobody will ever tell me otherwise. And now as a follower of Jesus, we look to the cross, the one who gave his life for us to purchase us by his blood. Say, Jesus, I give you my body, my future, my finances, my will, my wishes, my glory, my dreams, my desire. And I lay them all at your nail-scarred feet. Everything I am and everything I have belongs to you. That's, what, that's how Christ's lordship manifests. Lord, the gift of a will, the gift of choice that you've given me, I now choose to bend my knee to, to, to be about your kingdom and your will and the glory of your name, not my own. And, and what Jesus makes clear here is that can sound harsh, that can sound mean, that can say, oh, what about me, all that stuff. No, that's actually where true freedom comes. When it's not about us anymore, like, thank God this is not about us, Right? Thank God that we can come here and get our focus off of ourselves and all of us lift up our chins and look to our resurrected, glorified king and what he's done for us. And it frees us from being enslaved to ourselves. And that's what Jesus says. He says, you lose your life for my sake. That's actually when you really find it. Why? Because we make really bad lords. We make really bad gods over our lives. We need Jesus to be Lord. He knows what's best right? He's the good shepherd. Every other shepherd, including our own shepherding, is a false shepherd who's leading us the wrong way. And uh, a while back when I was learning to drive, uh, the way my pops, God bless him, love you pops, uh, taught me to drive was I, had, I maybe had my permanent transit family for like a week. And my dad's like, you're driving to the beach. And I was like six hours away through highways and rivers and valleys and mountains. Anyways, 
I can't even tell you how many times we almost died on that trip. It was nuts. I mean, I, like, no joke, merging on a 495. Uh, my dad's always cool in the pocket, but when I saw that he was getting a little nervous, I was like, oh, man. So anyways, and I, got, I had to drive over this massive bridge and the whole time. Anyways, it was crazy. I was terrified. And there came a realization where I'm saying, okay, I really want to make it to the beach. I want my dad to make it to the beach. I want to see the rest of my family there. Uh, that would be great. That destination, I'd love to make it to that destination. So there came a time where I said, hey, pops, I'm pulling this thing over, and I'm handing you the keys. Jesus, take the wheel, all right? <laughs> like, I actually want to make it there. And that's what Jesus is saying is, hey, you want to make it to eternal glory with me. That transaction has to take place. That transaction has to take place. We're saying, I, you have to come to an understanding. I'm making a mess of my life. I can't do this anymore. I need God. I need him. Jesus, I need a shepherd. I need a savior. I need a Lord. And so when the Holy Spirit comes and awakens us to see the beauty of Christ and the folly of our own ways, the most sane thing on the planet earth to do is to bend your knee to and confess the lordship of Jesus in your life. It's the most sane thing on the planet earth. Oh my gosh, the Lord, the King of Kings wants to be my shepherd? Sign me up any day of the week. I'll gladly hand you the keys because I almost, we almost got sideswiped 10 times on 95, you know? If you want to make it there, Jesus says, hand me the keys. If you want to make it to glory, get out of the driver's seat of your life and hand me the keys and surrender everything you have. And so second point is this. That's how we enter is a renunciation of our own wills, a renunciation of everything we are and everything we have so that Christ can live in us. And that's what baptism symbolizes, the death of us and the new life out of the waters resurrected with Jesus. And so what will, and I had to do, I had, sorry, I had so many scriptures to, to really, I could have done a whole sermon series on that point, but we have to move on. Okay, so what will this journey entail? Second point is we see how we begin this journey. Uh, uh, well, what will this journey entail following Jesus? And Jesus, he doesn't hold back. He says, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are few. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus, not holding back in no unambiguous terms, says the way is hard that leads to life. The one word that Jesus could give here to describe what it means to follow in his footsteps is not cozy, is exciting, uh, fun. He says it's, it's, it's hard. And what he's doing is he's managing expectations. He's saying before glory, before glory comes suffering for my followers. Before glory comes suffering. And so put your helmet on, get your mouth guard in. You're going you're gonna to land safely, but it's going to be a bumpy ride. It's going to be a bumpy ride. We're going four-wheeling. Um, and so simply put, I think in the church, there's these precious promises of Christ. Future promises, grace, glory, love, his, his presence. And we cling to these. We, we claim these. Um, there's also promises that Jesus gives to his followers that we kind of shy away from. And this is why we like to go through books of the Bible is because we want what Jesus has for us. And me, it doesn't bring me much joy. Like, I'm not going to do a whole sermon series on persecution, okay? Uh, like a topical series. But Jesus talks about it a lot, a lot. And so he mentions it specifically here. And there's one thing that we cannot accuse Jesus of is him not being clear about the cost of following him. He's crystal clear. At no point can we shake our fists at the heavens and say, Jesus, I didn't sign up for this. Where was this in the fine print? Jesus said, go, go read the, the Gospels. Go, go get in your word. And this is what Matthew 10, 22, Jesus says. And you will be hated by all for my namesake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
There's a call to endurance there, right? He doesn't say some. He says all, all for my name's sake. John 15, 18 through 20. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I spoke, I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So if we were to ask Jesus, why, why would you describe uh, the way being hard? Well, it's because of who we're following and where he's going. It's because of who we're following and where he's going. It's sort of guilt by association of saying, as they did to me, they also will do to you. They, they hated me. They persecute me. They put me to death. And then the encouragement that comes from that is if we're facing opposition and persecution, we should be of good cheer because it actually could be a sign that we're heading in the right direction. Opposition could very well be a sign that we're heading in the right direction. And so I think what Jesus is getting at here in John 15, if I were uh, slap an illustration to it, is like, it's like imagine the, the two paths here. The easy wide path is if you've ever been tubing down a river, is you're flowing with the current of that river, the world. But what you don't realize in that river called the, the way of the world that leads to destruction is that, is that there's a waterfall you're leading onto to destruction. And it's actually easy to go with the flow. You got your, you know, your, your tube out and all that stuff. And when you come to confess Jesus as Lord, he actually changes your destination, right? There's something different in your horizon. It's not destruction. It's actually eternal glory. But eternal glory now is upstream from everything within you and everything outside you, Right? Like, like glory is now upstream. You're no longer downstream. You're now in like a kayak with your helmet on in a life vest, and you're rowing with everything you have. And so what that means then is this. If you're here today and your shoulders are burning as you're fighting the internal battle of indwelling sin in your life, that means that you're actually, it's a sign that you're regenerate, that the Holy Spirit is inside you, that, man, my shoulders are burning. Everything is telling me to turn around inside of me and go the other way. But no, I see Christ beckoning me to himself upstream. If you've got bruises on your arm where people are coming after you and they're saying, why are you headed this way? We're all going this way. How dare you think you're better than us for going that way? And they're coming at you and they're doing everything to turn your boat around. You got bruises and the enemy's coming and splashing water in your ears and it's stinging your ears and you're just, your vision is cloudy of glory. All that to say, if that describes you this morning, be of good cheer. You're headed in the right direction. You're headed in the right shoulders, burning, vision blurry. You're facing opposition. Uh, uh, That's a good sign. You're headed in the right direction. We're rowing upstream. That's the difficulty of what it means to follow Jesus is we're saved out of the world. And then Jesus calls us to be agents of reconciliation to that world that hates him because currently it's, it's, it's the prince of the power of the air's territory where he's advancing his kingdom. And we're called to go back from where we came to advance God's kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so that begs the question, why in the world would anyone sign up for this? Like, if I'm, if I'm going to lead a, a massive movement and turn the world upside down, I'm not going to say, hey, you're going to be hated by everybody. And you're probably going to, like, you know, have your uh, uh, things taken from you, your life taken from you. But you should come and follow me. Right? What would, what would make you, what would motivate you to do that? And, and Paul lays it out, a man who laid down his life for the one who laid down his life for him. The apostle Paul says this in Philippians 3, 7 through 8. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This man, the Apostle Paul, writing from jail who lost everything, he says, he says, Jesus and jail time is worth it. Jesus is better. Give me Jesus. And if that comes with persecution, if that comes with chains, if that comes with martyrdom, give me Jesus. Everything else doesn't even hold the candle to his worth and to his glory. And he uses this, this language because of the surpassing worth of Christ, that the Apostle Paul once held things very dearly in his life, his, his external righteousness, his pharisaicalism, and all that stuff, and, and the ways of this world. And when you come to know Jesus, there's a surpassing worth where you're saying, the things that I once treasured and valued, I no longer treasure and value as much as I treasure Jesus and wanting to follow him and go where he's going. Uh, wealth, the comfort and security wealth will bring me, American dream, maybe my career, or these difficult things that Jesus might call us. You're saying, Jesus, you're better. And, and, and that idea of surpassing worth, we all understand because nobody here still owns a flip phone. Anyone here own a flip phone? Show of hands. No, nobody does. Why? Because the iPhone got invented, right? And so when you first had, we had a conversation, I think uh, Rob and I were maybe talking about this uh, yesterday, but when you uh, first owned your flip phone, it was like the coolest thing on the planet earth, right? Like you can text, you're using T9 texting and and all this stuff, and then, and then there's a razor that came out, flip phone that actually had a camera on it. But now nobody's rocking the flip phone. Why? Because something of surpassing worth has come along where it turned immediately what we once treasured into trash, into trash. And that's what Paul is saying here, is that everything I once held dear, when I saw the glory and the beauty and the majesty of the Christ of glory, everything now became trash, which I once treasured. It paled in comparison to knowing Jesus, knowing him. Because the most precious gift of the gospel is not what you get, it's who you get. It's not what you get, it's who you get. It's not come to Jesus and he'll make you wealthy and happy and give you whatever you want. He's a cosmic slot machine. No, the most precious, dearest gift of the gospel is not what we get and what God gives us, is that we get God. We get a relationship with him. We get restored to fellowship with him. We have peace with God. Yes, the journey to glory is hard, but now we're not navigating life alone. Jesus is at our right hand. The good shepherd is at my right hand. Therefore, I will not be shaken. And so therefore, for the follower of Jesus, who's entered that narrow way, he's renounced his former life, and now he's following in the difficult footsteps of Jesus, calling us to go back into the world to advance the kingdom and love and power. Psalm 23 becomes the refrain of our life. Psalm 23 says this, the Lord is my shepherd, the king of glory, the Christ of glory now is our shepherd who's walking alongside us. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think the refrain of this psalm is where my good shepherd is, is where I want to be. And so if there's these seasons in my life where the good shepherd is leading me besides still waters, 
and green pastures. If he's there, that's where I want to be. And if my shepherd is leaning, leading me through the valley of the shadow of death, bring on the valley of the shadow of death because where Jesus is, that's where I want to be. Where he's leading, that's where I want to be. His presence is everything to me. To possess Jesus is to possess everything I need. So then the refrain for the follower of Jesus is this, is Jesus, my good shepherd, where are you going? And am I going with you? And am I going with you? I want to make sure I'm following in your footsteps. And lastly, we see that's what the journey will entail. Yes, it'll be difficult, but now we have the good shepherd who's with us through it all and who's taking us in the presence of our enemies. He prepares a table and surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life because where ultimately is this destination, this journey going? Where is it leading to? To dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. My third point, where will this journey ultimately take us? And in our text, Jesus describes two gates, two paths, and two destinations. He says there's only two options. There's not many options. There's only two. There's an easy and wide gate, and that gate leads to destruction. And there's another one. There's a a, a narrow and a hard path that leads to everlasting life. And Jesus here is to be unclear is to be unkind. He's saying you and I are on one of two paths, one of two roads. There There is no third option. There is no third option. There's only one way that leads to God, and it's through the person and work of Jesus Christ. John 10, 9 through 11 says this. I am the door. This is Jesus' bold declaration. I am the door. If anyone enters me by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What Jesus is revealing is the fact that it's not just him who's extending a broad invitation to enter his presence. In John 10, we see Jesus here is revealing that there is a thief. There is an enemy, there is an adversary, the devil, who stands at the end of the wide gate and the easy path, and he invites us to enter as well. He invites us to enter as well. And so the core reality of our lives is that there's two people chasing after you, chasing after your destiny, chasing after your life, chasing after your love, chasing after your allegiance. Stated differently, this is, we need to hear this today, Satan has a will for your life just as much as Jesus has a will for your life. Satan has a destination for your life just as much as Jesus has a destination for your life. The will, the desire of Jesus that he desired so much that he'd be willing to lay down his life for you, the good shepherd lays down his life for you, is eternal salvation and abundant life in him. And the will of Satan is eternal destruction and misery for your life. And so therefore, at the end of the journey, it's not a matter of what awaits us. It's a matter of who awaits us. That when we cross from this life to the next, it's either Jesus or somebody else saying, come and enter into my kingdom. That's why Jesus did what he did, to save us from that reality. And I know that's heavy. I know that uh, uh, screams of, of injustice and exclusivity, and it kind of rubs us the wrong way. But our response today is not, how can there be only one day, one way, one door to Jesus, that's unjust. No, 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 our response is this. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way. 
where there was no way. That's the cry of the Christian. There was only one way before. It was the way of destruction. And, and God desired that none should perish, but all should come to everlasting life. So the way we come through everlasting life is the good shepherd first walked through our valley of the shadow of death so that everyone could be invited to escape that death, that eternal separation from God because of our sin. That's the work that Christ came to do. That Jesus, through his suffering, through his death on the cross, carved out this path, opened up the gate for us in the midst of the wilderness of this world, and he did it through his death on the cross for us so that we no longer are without hope and without the forgiveness of our sins. And the cross of Jesus Christ is now that open door to where sinners estranged from God come and receive forgiveness of their sins that leads to eternal fellowship with God forever. And the, I'll call it the band. Band, you can come up. And the invitation of the Lord Jesus to everyone on the live stream or present in this room is enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. I think there's a call for us to look at our lives. If we are in Christ, our eternity is secure in him. But if you're here and maybe you've never confessed the lordship of Jesus over your life, the stakes are infinitely high for your life. And let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day, if anything's resonated with what I've said, if the Lord's been ministering to your heart, today is the day of salvation where you let go of the lordship of your life. You put your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you just say, God, I want you, and I give my life to you. I don't know what it all means, but I surrender, and I want you, Jesus, in my life. That changes the entire course of your life and is the best decision that you could ever make with your life. And so if that's you today, uh, we're going to go silent. We're going to give you a moment to connect with the living God who I, I, I can testify will radically change your life and break in and give you abundance and peace and his presence forever. More. And if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, what we do today is we rejoice in our salvation. We remember the cost that was paid. We rejoice that, oh my gosh, Jesus, thank you that I am on the narrow path. That because you first went before me and passed through the valley of the shadow of death, now I can pass through that narrow gate and follow you to glory. That you forever have changed the destiny of my life. So let's go silent. And I want to give you guys time to connect with the good shepherd. Lord, we thank you that the invitation that you extend to us is not first clean up yourselves and then come to me. Not spruce up your life, try to hide stuff from me. No, the invitation you extend is come to me just as you are. With all the regrets, all the shame, all the secrets. And give it to me. That's the great exchange, Jesus, that you came. Say, give me your sin. Give me your wickedness. Give me your filth. Place it upon my shoulders so I can bear that for you so you don't have to bear it anymore. If you came here guilty, 
If you came here with shame and condemnation of things you're struggling with, you don't have to leave with that anymore. Jesus died to take that from you. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions because he, because he first became a curse. Now he's the door to everlasting life for us. So if you're here today and you're saying, oh, I'm too far gone. I've sinned too far. Jesus clearly wouldn't extend that invite to me. No, you, yes, you are invited to come to Jesus and to place all your burdens at his feet, all the weight of your sin and your shame at his feet. And in return, Jesus clothes you. There's an exchange where you bring your rags and Jesus clothes you in his forgiveness and his righteousness. And says, lift up your chin, child. Stop navel gazing. Lift up your chin and look to the heavens and see that your redemption is drawing near. On the cross, I said, it is finished. And when I said that, I meant that your sins, which separate you from God, from God, have been remembered no more. They've been paid to my account. So you have peace with me and fellowship with me. And so I, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would apply this truth to our lives. Holy Spirit, that you would, um, these were heavy words. It's a heavy message today. But I pray you bring salvation today. You bring rescue, Jesus. You came to seek and save that which is lost. We thank, thank you for that. We say thank you for that, Jesus. And today, uh, Lord God, would you put a fire in our belly for you, for you being the good shepherd that has laid down his life for us so that we could know you and walk with you? And would you put a fire in our belly to go and tell others that there's a feast waiting with the king of glory, with the eyes full of love, bidding us to come and receive life and life abundantly. What a beautiful invitation you extend to us, Jesus. So would you do that by the precious gift of your Holy Spirit inside of us. We pray this in your name, God, and for your glory. Amen.